Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Shop.net. Unsanitised, part three. Back to school and blended learning. Hello there, this is Simon Lewis from Unshaw and you're very welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshaw.net. Uh, this is a part of a special series of episodes uh, around going back to school in times of this pandemic, which I've called unsanitized. Um, in the last two uh, episodes, I talked a little bit about um why I don't believe we'll be staying in school for that long and maybe the background to that and how I think blended learning is probably what we're going to be doing uh, in the next few months uh, given I suppose all the variables that are in play. In the last um, episode I went through what a classroom was going to look like possibly in uh, these times because we are going to try we had to fit you know up to 32 maybe 33 children into quite small classrooms um, and how that's going to work as best as possible and why we'll all have to ensure that every child is in school um, whether we have the space or not. In this episode I'm going to look at the actual curriculum and how that's going to look for uh, you as a teacher. I'm going to look at every single subject and uh, see what we can do, what we can't do uh, during these uh, COVID-19 times um, and how we can try and keep ourselves as safe as possible until we inevitably have to shut down uh, whenever that might be. As most of you know, the Department of Education released their um, roadmap to reopening schools at the end of July. And one of the smaller documents in uh, this uh, roadmap was one based on the primary school curriculum and how that's going to look in pandemic times. Now, I'm going to use uh, this document a, a bit to scaffold this particular part of the episode uh, and I'll uh, quote uh, parts of it where it needs to be or paraphrase them at least. Um, and um, but most of all, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through each subject and I'm going to go through um, how they'll change based on the fact that we're trying to keep ourselves as safe as possible and to minimise the risk of uh, the virus spreading. Um, as some of you will have read, uh, the most um, important subjects uh, that the uh, Department of Education have identified, uh, while the first two were literacy and numeracy, which... Um, actually aren't subjects at all uh, but um, they are now um, and uh, but back in my day um, which was um, which is still now uh, they were also known as English Irish and maths um, but they have been identified as the most important subjects um, along with SPHE and PE of all things so we're going to look at those first really and then what classrooms might look like with um, with, with in those subjects. So as we all know, uh, literacy and numeracy have transformed in the last 20 years. Um, back when I started teaching, um, lessons consisted of having their books open and the teacher demoing some sort of concept and then practicing it over and over again. And when I say back in my day, uh, that's longer than 20 years ago, <laughs> just uh, so you know. So when I was in school, um, 
there was a teacher at the top of the room effectively demoing stuff and then you just basically practice it over and over again now that may not be alien to some classrooms these days still but in general uh, that is not a concept that we do all the time uh, but basically there were very few opportunities back in my day for group work anyway or even talking at all um, and some of you of a certain vintage will possibly remember that silence um, constituted a good classroom. In fact, if an inspector or a kigara walked into the classroom, that was kind of the default position that your teacher wanted you to be in. Silence was good. Now I can imagine some of my own uh, teachers when I was a kid trying to cope with the gentle buzz um, in inverted commas of classrooms these days. Anyways, as an aside, I, I kind of always find it funny that some teachers, even today, still believe that a silent classroom is a good classroom. It's probably a hangover from when they were in school or maybe when their mums were in school or when their dads were in school. Anyway, given COVID-19, are we at risk of the classroom coming back to that era in some ways? Because I, I remember my own primary school classroom and it was it was a kind of a different place, really. It was a different reality. Um, rows of tables with seats. Talking wasn't really allowed. Um, pretty much you were sitting down in the same place, doing book work pretty much all day, and everyone was facing the blackboard. Now, the blackboard will now be some sort of digital screen, but will it now be the case that only the teacher will be able to use that blackboard or that new digital screen? Will children be able to share resources? Will they be able to share maths materials such as Dean's blocks and so on? And will they have to get their own little sets of everything? And what school in the country has enough of anything to be able to do that anyway, which they can't? And what, what are we going to do about pair work and group work? So these are kind of questions that I'll be trying to explore, that I'm trying to explore here, or maybe you might have a think about uh, when you're doing this, because I don't know if I have the answers to those questions. When it seems we're only recommended to have a limited number of people in a room, and we're recommended to physically distance to avoid these viral droplets or aerosol stuff that it seems to be called, it seems to be uh, the case now from coming out of our mouths and only for a short period of time. If we look at a classroom situation where none of these variables will be remotely possible, Irish classrooms are for example, aren't ventilated and opening a window in the middle of January when your classrooms are just above the minimum acceptable temperature levels uh, really takes a brave person. So maybe we'll be asking, you know, for example, children to bring blankets to school um, in order for us to even sit there all day and not freeze. Look, literacy and numeracy are going to have to change in order for children to be kept safe. Um, because we can't do much of the stuff that we we would be used to doing now, and my theory is we are going to go uh, back. I, I I've written in my notes we're going to be regressing to the teaching styles that I might have had uh, when I was in school. Now I can't see anything other than didactic styles of teaching and learning happening in classrooms because they need to be safe, and the only way for that to happen is through didactic styles of teaching and learning. Uh, classrooms are going to have to be quiet because we're going to have to avoid situations where loud talking or shouting or singing is going to be a problem. And although I'm talking about literacy and numeracy now, this could definitely be extended to almost every other subject on the curriculum. Um, do you know, I mean, even, you know, your history, your geography, your um, possibly learn together program if you're doing that in your school um, and, and any subject where literacy or numeracy might be needed. I mean, 
for example, let's look at, at, at other situations. Is it going to be safe to sit around a table doing science experiments? Uh, will it be safe to do painting in groups? Um, I mean, clearly music classes are going to be very limited without wind instruments. Uh, but then what about singing? Um, you could go through almost every subject and see that given what needs to be limited, schools school is just not going to be as entertaining as it was before the pandemic without some highly creative thinking. So let's just have a look at some creative ways to enhance the typical classroom situation. And before I do, it's important to note that a lot of it will depend on an individual school's budget um, and so on and, and, and various teachers' creativity and comfort levels. And for me, I suppose, and what, what we might you know, I might not mention this a lot, but generally I kind of think technology is going to play a major part in this solution. Um, it's going to be very difficult, uh, for example, to get manipulatives for every child individually. And we can't be asking parents to go off and buy Dean's blocks or print off and laminate dozens and dozens of sheets. And it just doesn't make practical sense for us to go off laminating dozens and dozens of sheets of, of, of uh, pages for the amount of time they're going to be used. We have to make sure that there's a balance between what's possible to do and the time constraints that we will all have to have. So we have to be able to keep that in mind. So I do think technology is going to be something that's going to be very, very important, even with very young classes, while we're actually in the building. Now, when children are older, this will be a little bit easier because they probably will have access to devices or children might even be able to start bringing in their own devices uh, in order to alleviate the burden of the amount of resources that are necessary to have at our disposal. There isn't one primary school that I know of and um, that isn't a private primary school that would have one device per child um, at, um, at their disposal. So what I'd be saying is I think children will all need access to a phone or a tablet or a laptop or a Chromebook or something like that. I, I don't know if you remember a few years ago, um, because this, is, this isn't a new concept, what I'm saying here um, at all, uh, but a few years ago when the government weren't offering any money for ICT, um, I don't know if you remember those days. It's kind of easy to remember because it was almost all of the last two decades. Um, but anyway, just before Richard Bruton uh, started giving his annual ICT grant, there was a bit of a craze when no money was being given out uh, of the whole concept of bring your own device. Uh, this is very much on the agenda. Now, if you don't remember the BYOD craze, um, it's kind of like those BYOB barbecues. But instead of bringing your own beer, you bring your own laptop to school. Now, it never took off because devices at that time had battery lives even shorter than some of my podcasts and classrooms generally didn't have plugs um, for them to charge. But however, apart from that, the calls for the BYOD cooled off, um, not probably because of Richard Bruton's uh, grant, but it was after that really stupid Daily Mail campaign trying to say that screen time was evil. And to quote the most famous Simpsons reference ever, won't somebody please think of the children? And for whatever reason, it gained a huge following. So much so that almost every other uh, tabloid newspaper joined in this campaign to stop children, poor children being forced onto screens by their evil schools and by society in general. Um, there was actually some... Um, you know, some people, some some many people that believe this, but it all so much so that it almost succeeded in killing off technology use in schools. I'm not, I mean, I'm not exaggerating that. I mean, you know, in some ways, there was a time where you were trying to justify asking children to do some homework on a computer screen because for the fear of someone saying, "Oh, I don't like my child using screens," um, so I mean. 
I, 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 the, the, and more annoyingly, there were actually some schools that thought it was a great idea altogether that, not, that technology was the ruination of civilization. And poor children had these devices, you know, forced on them. Not, not by the schools now. No way. We, they were going to join the fight. It was actually by evil, greedy corporations hanging around those street corners, sneaking iPads into poor, innocent children's hands rather than their own parents who wouldn't dream of putting a device in front of their child. Well, maybe, maybe I'm being unfair there. It's really, really really super difficult to say no to a child who says that everyone else in my class has an iPad. Anyway, I am being unfair. But what I do believe, what really the problem was, um, is uh, is that parents bought their kids these devices and then quickly realized that although they're very, very handy for long car trips and when you need five minutes to go to the toilet or whatever at home, it's almost impossible to control their usage. Um, because they're very addictive. And that's there's no, no getting away from that. I get that. So when they collectively got on board with the Daily Mail campaign, so somebody else could tell their own children not to use the devices they bought for their children, who would be better to do that than schools? And the problem with this is that technology in the right hands is amazing. And I, I mean, I, and I, I, I suppose I don't... I, up until the pandemic, I don't think I think I would have had to justify that. But I think we all know that now after after this pandemic. Can you imagine how children would have got taught without technology existing, without screen time, as they called it? However, we don't need a pandemic to use technology well. And the problem parents and the tabloids should have had with technology was mindless screen time, not meaningful screen time. Again, to quote The Simpsons slightly, or to paraphrase him, there's screen time and there's screen time. And in some ways, what I'm saying is we need meaningful screen time is incredibly useful and brilliant for learning. And you would have experienced this um, over the last few months. And some of those, uh, I'll go through some of the examples of some of the things I'll be recommending to teachers and parents in the, um, in the next part of this episode, though I will touch on them on this part. As I'm recording this, the number of cases in Ireland are rising and some counties have are, are now on lockdown, almost lockdown anyway. So just to go back to the point about BYOD, if there are good hygiene practices, I think BYOD, or bring your own device, would and might be a good idea so that every child in the country has access to an internet-enabled device in whatever flavour it needs to be. Um, so I'm not saying that, we're, that schools or children or families would all have a particular device um, but one that connects the internet is 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 all one would need, whatever that looks like. And I don't think children need to be supplied with one, um, which might be difficult for schools anyway, given the grant that was given. But with 99% of adults owning a mobile phone these days, it's not entirely impossible to expect some sort of connectivity, albeit with the huge caveats in certain parts of the country. Um, and in fact, if I were Santa Claus right now, I would be ordering extra tablets and Chromebooks. And I'll talk more about children's own devices, as I said, in the next part of the episode. But I want to come back to other technology in the classroom because that's very important. But just before I do, I do realise as well that many children don't have access uh, to devices. And again, I'll be looking at ways we could ensure that almost every child in the country should be able to have access to some sort of internet connected device um, no matter what um, their background is um, and it is it is a difficult one to do but I think I think it might be able to be done I'm not uh, uh, so anyway we'll leave we'll leave that for the moment the other piece of technology uh, that 
apart from the technology that children will be needing, is that teachers will also need their own technological tools to engage with children. For example, a decent interactive whiteboard or an interactive screen, I suppose, which is now, I mean, almost a default situation for uh, classrooms these days. I mean, I imagine some of you would be would be wondering was there was there ever a classroom without an interactive whiteboard before and uh, it's only in the last decade uh, where where you'll actually find that this has started to become the norm but um the thing about an interactive whiteboard an interactive screen which is useful is basically for showing children things on a big screen so that you don't crowd around in um in small groups and in some ways I always refer to the interactive whiteboard almost as akin to Bosco's, uh, you know, the magic door in Bosco, uh, where basically you can bring children anywhere virtually. You know, for example, you know, I mean, I know in Bosco, everyone just always went to, you know, you open the magic door and you went to the zoo. But, you know, you could you could be more inventive than that. For example, you could take the children on a trip to the Burren in County Clare, um, where you could uh, explore all the flora and fauna there on the big screen. And while it's not as good as actually being in the Burren, uh, looking at doing a uh, maybe an uh, watching a, a YouTube video of an aerial footage of the bur- of parts of the Burren, or even a getting photographs of um, the flora and fauna of the area and things like that is isn't too bad. It's not it's not brilliant, but it's definitely um, you're not going to you weren't going to be going to the burren anyway unless you live in the burren so it's um th- those are the kind of ideas that you might use an interactive whiteboard you're basically bringing children to places that you couldn't bring them before um but in this case with covid-19 you're showing them things that they wouldn't be able to see um without uh you know in terms of social distancing or physical distancing um another tool i do believe i uh, i uh, believe very much is that a teacher will need a visualizer because we're actually not going to be able to go up to children's desks and we're not going to be able to hang around a table uh, for science and look at an experiment so we're probably going to have to magnify um things onto an interactive whiteboard so if your child has a piece of work they want to show to the rest of the class then then what i'd suggest is to put it under a visualizer and show it to the whole class on the big screen and that's something simple that's going to work very well so basically in summary um i would suggest that these two items an interactive screen of some sort and a visualizer of some sort will be very very important for your classroom for any subject especially literacy or numeracy however there are some subjects that don't fall under the whole packet of needing literacy and numeracy and what i'm thinking about here are the art subjects and PE really, but probably SPHE a little bit. So how are those subjects going to work in this new age of the pandemic? Now we've looked at the traditional classroom setup of the teacher at the top of the room and the children basically in their seats the whole time, looking at books and answering questions. But what about subjects that simply can't follow that setup? Well, the first subject on my mind, uh, because it was surprisingly the fourth most important subject according to the government guidelines, was PE. Now, as surprising as it was to me, because how are you going to actually teach PE physically distant, um, the guidelines appear to target athletics. Um, So again, teaching children movements, and that seems to make quite a lot of sense. But I was thinking there were other strands of the PE curriculum that can be very easily done with physical distancing. Um, But when I say very easily, I probably mean not very easily. And maybe I probably should say they can be done with a little more thought. That is, they need to be done outdoors, so it has to not be raining. Um, And, 
you know, because we live in Ireland, that might be a little bit difficult and it might be out of the equation because we're not actually going to have access to a hall again unless there's very, very inventive timetabling, which allows for complete cleans of the hall between classes. So there's a lot of variables there before we even start to teach PE. And looking at some of the other strands, well, you know, obviously aquatics is probably out this year, I imagine, unless you're a very, very small school and the swimming pool is is able to accommodate you. It's just not going to happen. I mean, games, I know outside of school sports are allowed to happen in team sports and physical contact, but in the school context, I just don't think it's really possible. So that leaves us with dance and orienteering. We'll have to probably stop the Sieges of Ennis and our Walls of Limerick, um, and I'm sure I've mixed those up. I'm sorry, you can tell I'm probably not an Irish dancer, but certainly it's possible to do dance um, but it will have to be outside, so where the music is going to come from, I guess, might be an issue. So maybe it's it's going to be difficult, but it is going to be possible, I guess. Um, orienteering is possible, though not entirely possible, if that makes sense. Uh, some of the curriculum can definitely be done, but most of it can't. So I guess going back to games again, maybe you can do games between individuals, so there won't be any team sports, and you'll probably be able to use equipment like balls if they're kept in, in, within a pod, and games that can be played without equipment. I mean, look, it's not exactly going to be perfect, and like it's it's it, in fact it's far from perfect to be honest. So anyway, I just thought I'd go back to that, and finally, I suppose we you know we have athletics and as i said the government have issued guidelines of sorts with the small amount that can be done and to be fair while it isn't great at least it's something um you know again i don't know why epe is being considered the fourth most important subject um in the curriculum possibly um because maybe there's a perception that children haven't been exercising um and that that may be true in some cases whereas some children probably haven't done as much exercise i mean as uh, ever i know in my own house gosh if we didn't have our walk in the morning over the last few months I, i'd say we'd all have killed each other so um you know uh, that's uh, that's fair enough um moving on to the arts um i can't really see drama happening um except maybe for monologues or miming. I mean, if we're all being honest with each other, I, I think very few schools are actually teaching drama as a discrete subject anyway. Um, I mean, that is, honestly, Inspector was about, or it was, it was down on the Countess Mesial in November and December, and gosh, you did nothing but drama in November, December, enough to make up the year because of the Owl Nativity or whatever. Um, I don't know. Um, maybe maybe it's something to consider. Um, music is is covered in the guidelines, and they've suggested we don't use wind instruments. Now, um, I, I, many adults in Ireland will, will probably celebrate this because there won't be that shrill of a tin whistle to be heard uh, in a household when they're practicing. I mean, I I just don't understand why kids love to blow into those yokes as hard as they can and make that noise to not kill their eardrums. Um, anyway, outside of that, there's elements of the music curriculum we can do. I mean, lots of listening and responding and possible composition on percussion instruments. Um, well, I mean, if you consider a table as a percussion instrument. Uh, visual arts is going to be difficult, mainly because of resources and um, the fact we won't be able to share them. Um, the Department of Education has suggested we focus just on the drawing strand, and I imagine they're probably right. Um, most other strands do require some sort of sharing unless the school is exceedingly rich. And if the Department of Education funding is anything to go by, uh, there that would be a total of zero schools in that position. Um, I thought I might go on then to uh, look at this thing that I thought was very interesting. The Department of Education have asked teachers to teach Stay Safe and the RSE programmes as early as possible in the school year as part of the SPHE programme. Now, to me, this reeks of the following. 
we have absolutely no confidence whatsoever that schools are going to stay open. <laughs> That's what it kind of sounds like to me. So when it comes to PE, your best bet is to just get cracking on these two uh, aspects because they are a bugger to teach online. Um, I live uh, with uh, somebody who's my uh, my wife, basically, who uh, had to teach uh, the RSC programme online. And it was really, really difficult um, compared to what it's like in a classroom. Now, everything was really difficult to teach online, but particularly more sensitive subjects where you really don't know who's around um, and with RSE, you know, people probably are hovering in the background. I mean, any subject you're teaching, people are hovering in the background. And it is a time where a child needs the security of their classroom with just their teacher um, to teach the subject. Um, I'm not even going to mention um, schools that bring in uh, visitors to teach uh, RSE. Uh, uh, I was about to say shame on you. That sounds very harsh. But, uh, you know, I, I think the best person to teach SPHE, RSE, it, uh, is, is a class teacher because it takes... Um, it takes it. It brings it as a, as a normal uh, part of the curriculum as it should be. Um, but anyway, this is not a rant about SPHE and RSE. Um, but I, I would suggest you do teach them as early as possible. But it's not the only thing. Um, you know, as we know, uh, obviously, if you teach RSE, uh, uh, sorry, if you teach SPHE, you know that you have half an hour a week to teach all uh, all of it. Um, uh, but a lot of it can't be taught. Um, I mean, circle time, anything involving circle time is out. And a lot of SPG involves sitting in a circle with each other um, and, and speaking to each other. Um, you know, I, I know much of the SPHE curriculum has been hijacked by the various things that are now supposed to be covered, um, you know, like RSE, uh, Stay Safe, Walk Tall, uh, Wellbeing Now, uh, Internet Safety, probably Yoga, Mindfulness. Um, oh gosh, I don't know, teaching children how to drive, I suppose. I don't know, I don't know about that. Maybe not yet. Um, well, I think the Celtic Tiger uh, finished just in time because I think there were demands for that to actually happen. Cooking, probably though, uh, is, is going to be part of it. Anyway, in reality, much of the SBHE curriculum, apart from um, the things that you're covering um, is in the curriculum, are we actually covering them at all anyway because of the amount of time we're spending? But kind of weirdly enough, I, I, I said, geez, I better look at that SPHE curriculum just to remind myself because um, I've been out of the classroom for a while. And actually, in fairness, you probably are teaching it in some guise, um, you know, such as in your Learn Together curriculum, um, if you're in a teach in a school uh, that teaches the Learn Together curriculum, uh, and sometimes in the religious indoctrination, I mean, instruction uh, program as well uh, you may be teaching some of the concepts of SPHE and and speaking of which and probably finally um, as, as part of this uh, what will the patron program look like in primary schools when it comes to the curriculum now it might be easy for me here to bail out you know after all it's coming up to the half hour mark here um, you know, because I mean, like the Department of Education bail out very easily. They they bail out when it comes to t taking any sense of responsibility for the various messages that various types of schools think are okay to spread to children. You know, messages like ones where they claim that the only true sexual union is that between a man and a woman. Uh, I'm sure you can't imagine working in any school like that, despite having a 90% chance of working in one. But really, in reality, what most people worry about when it comes to schools like that, um, and it comes to religion in school, is whether or not children will be able to make their communions and confirmations. And because sure, it's only a day out, isn't it? And what harm, and so on, and so forth. Now, I'm not going to go into the, uh, into the, the, 
that you can listen to half the episodes uh, I've recorded uh, previously to go into that uh, and to be honest I'm not really too au fait with what goes on anymore in these types of schools uh, because I haven't worked in one in nearly 20 years but I do remember uh, back in the day that half of the school ends up being in the choir um, in the church on the day and be- and they're uh, and they're bribed uh, with uh, sweets or no homework or whatever it is for showing up um, at the church for the various ceremonies and um, because I think that's going to be out because singing looks like it's gone and even going to church at all could be problematic in terms of uh, physical distancing. I'm thinking people are going to be spared the sound of a hundred children, at least a hundred children, singing to an out-of-tune church organ and I presume the children are going to have to physically distance in a church uh, even though they don't have to in school so I can't imagine how a big communion ceremony is going to happen and I kind of guess it might be similar to what's happening now. Um, because I, I, I've noticed over the last couple of weeks there's a lot of small ceremonies going on um, for communion so I, I don't know the ins and outs of it I think it's the, uh, the churches are taking one child at a time or small groups of children at a time uh, for smaller ceremonies um, uh, but I, I imagine when we get back to school these small ceremonies will probably continue with very high expectations on the class teacher to prepare the children ready for these smaller ceremonies um, so there you go um, I managed to tackle religion there without any controversial statements i think and in other schools where there isn't a religious program so they would have an ethics program i imagine life would be very much like the other subjects like sphe and sese and the literacy numerous with more traditional methodologies of teaching and i suppose there are no kind of ceremonies really um to to kind of uh, go through there um, or think about so, I mean, really, that's basically it. That's the entire curriculum. I, uh, it kind of feels like we don't have a, a huge curriculum after that. I, I, I know it sounds like, um, you know, it, it's, it doesn't sound like it's, you know, it sounds like it's going to be a real barrel of laughs, you know, doesn't it? Well, you know, don't worry. Um, because if, um, you know, don't be too depressed um, about the fact that, you know, teaching is going to be less exciting Um than, than, than it was I mean methodologies are going to be very limited and um, very didactic as I said and it's 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 not going if we're really realistic it's not really going to be as fun as it used to be um just the way things are but I, I look even so I wouldn't worry because if I'm right um this isn't going to last very long because I can't actually see us no matter what staying in school all together for very long and I believe we will be distance learning by midterm break and um, the way things are going the rises in cases the fact that you know there still doesn't seem to be any plan uh, uh, apart from squeezing loads of children into a classroom and expecting and basically keeping our fingers crossed um to to that that nothing will go wrong i just i just can't see it i just i can't see see uh us going anywhere but uh, back to distance learning and after that um I, I would say hastily and, and hopefully quickly there will be a new plan and um, with that in mind um, we will move to that plan which is when we get to blended learning and what that might look like for you as a teacher and for school leaders that are going to have to manage it. So that's um, the curriculum in a nutshell and um, 
next week I'm going to be looking at what will happen when we all close down and we figure out that blended learning is the only way we were going to uh, be able to do this given the size of classes. I can't see a situation where we're all going to be in school at the same time. I would, I don't, uh, I also don't see us going back to distance learning where nobody comes to school. Uh, but there is going to be, the one thing I can guarantee is that a teacher is going to have to uh, become um at least, um, I wouldn't say expert, but uh, they will need uh, to become au fait with the concept of um, basically teaching uh, face-to-face and teaching uh, remotely um, in their job and how that's going to look, how that's going to work, um, because you will have cases where some children will be in school uh, some of the time, some children, um, depending on their job, uh, depending, on, I suppose, on their on their background, may be in school all of the time, and there will be some children who won't be able to come, come to school at all uh, for various reasons. And how is a teacher going to navigate that? And that's where blended learning is really going to become um, the part and parcel of our work while we are waiting for life to come back to some form of normality whenever that will be. So that's what I'll be doing next time. I hope you enjoyed uh, this part of this episode of um, Unsanitized, a special series of episodes about the pandemic and going back to school. Um, next time, as I said, we'll look at blended learning. Um, I'm going to be releasing these podcasts every few days uh, as I write them and record them uh, because I guess we need to get uh, planning. I hope they're useful. I am really aiming these um, at the teacher in the classroom, certainly the last two um, uh, parts of the episode, and uh, I intend to do that for the next part. Um, if you are interested in find, uh, in um, listening to other episodes of If I Were the Minister for Education from Onshaw.net, you can do so by searching for Onshaw's podcasts um, on any of your various apps, iTunes, Spotify or any of the others. Um, if you like these episodes, please consider giving me a little review. It helps other people find them more easily. Um, thanks as always for listening and I'll leave it at that as we uh, bridge the half hour and we will talk to you in a few days. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.